Or it just sounds like a technical issue. All right, we are live now. Yeah, George can't hear us. We got, we guys. We want you to understand that we have our first British guest on the show, and we want you guys to understand the difference between British people and American people. He can't figure out how to use the audio, and we want you guys to understand that's how they lost the war. That is how they lost the war. They did not have the capabilities of just taking on basic things like technical audio. Boston Tea Party, boom. Comes live down to audio communication. <laughs> live streams, boom, dead. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I wanted to make, like, a really regal introduction about you, George, but um, the fact that he can't hear this means that we could just basically start bashing this dude. Um, he can't George, hear us either. Oh, no. George, here's what's going to have to happen, pal. You're probably going to want to log out and uh, log out, log back in. Okay. All right. We lost George. Oh, we lost him. That's you. Yeah. yeah. We'll we'll let him come in and back out again. If he doesn't make it, it's just going to be a tragedy. But there was a lot of interesting questions that I had lined up today. Um, yeah. You know what the thing is? Is everybody tries to do uh, use these headphones, the the expensive ones that Apple has that are wireless. Yeah. Give it, you can you hear us now, George? I can hear you. Oh, thank God. Nine times out of ten, you know how many people made fun of me, make fun of me when I run around in my posts. I have wired headphones. You know what? The one thing that wired headphones never do—they never fail. And then also, if I get in a bar fight, dude, I tie that shit around your neck. Boom, you're done. You ever seen those James Bond movies where like he like gets in the car like the mafia movie? They're like, "Yo, Tone, what's going on, man? Like, where are we going?" And he's like, "You're going nowhere, Frankie." And he's like, oh, oh, oh. "I do that with my fucking iPhone cords. You're dead." That's right, Frankie. You piece of shit. You knew you had this coming. I told you not to touch that thing. And he's like, oh, oh. "Yeah, iPhone cord killer. Cords are good." Yeah. George, I should um, probably invest. I should probably invest in some uh, old school technology. You know what you need to do is you need to go down to the the street meet area of town where I like to frequent. When I was staying with George, I used to go down and I got to know the locals a little bit. I'd wear short shorts and show them my upper thigh, and mm. they'd be like, "Ah, oh, you a Misa? You coming down here? You wanted a street meet?" And uh, they <laughs> give me the special meeting back in street meet. Yeah, <laughs> did you go back around the corner to get that special meet? No, you have to understand, dude. There's there's language. There's all these language barriers, and I break. I transcend all barriers with just that upper thigh meat of just pale American boy, and uh, they're like, we like him. He's got nothing to hide. His shorts are so short he can't be carrying a gun or anything like that. He's he's just oh natural. So they let me into their homes and they feed me the top of the line meat, not the meat that they keep out in the front for everybody else to buy. They give me that good shit. Now that is, I will. That is true. Yeah, you're extremely, extremely popular in that part of town. Uh, you must have uh, gone through like six or seven different vendors of street meat. Um, yeah, I mean, props to you. I mean, I can't do it. My, my, I got a delicate stomach, so you know. R- rumor is is that around town they call me the kebab king. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's kebab king or street meat. Hero, I think it's street like, hero. Yeah, they're selling shirts everywhere with both names on them. I'm not, I'm not impartial to anything at this point. I'm just happy to be part of the community. And then um, you did get a little bit sick, right, when you headed back. That's when I crossed the border, dude. These people down near your village would never treat me that way. I got street meat sickness down in the south of France, and we all know that the French are dirty. And what they did to you guys in the World Cup, I can never forgive them. Seriously, amen. Yeah. <laughs> so just to give people some some background context here, um, George and I have been like good friends for the past year and a half, two years, and we've known each other. Let's let's try to break this down because I have a timeline I'm trying to wrap up on. When did we first meet? Because I think it was around 2015 or something like that, and like a Spartan race. Um, we twenty passing 20. the night. 2016, obviously our world champs, Toronto, Blue Mountain. Um, yeah, I didn't really know much about the sport. It was kind of like my first big event. And I just remember like running through the woods, hearing this like wild horse breathing down my neck. And I was like, who's this guy? And he's like, 
the beast. I'm trying to pass. It's like I'm trying to pass. <laughs> I was like, no, you're not. This is like single track lane through the forest, and um, I held him off just because it's so narrow, probably about a mile. And then I saw this huge dude, shirtless, with a purple headband. <laughs> I was like, it's really not the weather for that, by the way. It's fucking freezing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you kicked down this hill and then went up it pretty fast. And I was like, whoa, these guys are built differently at the top. you know. And I think I saw you and Ryan at the finish line. And back then, I guess you were probably similar sort of build. And um, yeah, I think I saw you briefly, got a couple of beers after. You were definitely definitely down to party um but yeah i went out all night and uh did the relay the next day and i saw you sliding down a hill in your pants <laughs> that's basically Blast my first off. that's my first record recollection of of you and then i think at the beginning of covid i reached out because i was actually interested in a training program and um yeah i guess we just started talking online then and i flew out to man camp back in march of this year and it is Basically, true that you started working with Ian Hosick and your body just went to total shit, and that's why you have these soft calves now. I would yeah, say it's Ian, all got to be Hosick. performance is what's destroyed your calves. Hosick had me like doing some serious mileage. Um, yeah, basically because I needed to learn how to run longer distances. But um, yeah, running where he runs and running where I run are, is very different. So. Um, yeah, it helped in some ways, kind of probably hindered me and, and others. You know, he's a good guy, but um, yeah, no, I think uh, it was the right, right, right move to part ways at that point during my training. So I'm just, uh, I'm just giving Ian a hard time. Hey, would you mind getting a gun and killing that person in the background, George? A lot of background noise going on. Yeah, Done. it sounds Done. like you're in, you're in the, you're in the middle of a stadium. It sounds like you're at the World Cup right now. All right, are you at I mean, the World Cup? I'm here. There's one guy. He's probably making coffee. That's probably what you can see. Kill that dude. That guy. Um, yeah, that guy, exactly. Um, so you're one of the top trainers in the uh, the UK, the United K. I almost just said the United States. And you're a High Rocks trainer. You were a soccer trainer. There's all of these levels here. And today we were going to bring you on because I want to interview some of the people globally who are in the sport of High Rocks because I kind of want to – um, just dedicate this whole month to High Rocks. We've got our own High Rocks program that we're selling right now, but we wanted to talk about all the layers of the sport and the differences between United uh, racing in North America versus racing in the UK and Europe and kind of just hash some things out. But we could even start back earlier. You came over here to race in the United States many times and in Canada. Did you notice that there was already a difference in the racing community and the, the kind of sports that there were um, in obstacle course racing from the United States uh, to the UK? Yeah, I've been going to the States since I was 16, and I've always noticed there's a much more serious cohesive factor with coaches and kind of like, you know, coaches and athletes, even like on soccer teams. Like college is obviously a big deal for you guys to like go D1 or D2 and, and get scholarships. That doesn't really exist in our community in the UK. So then I think that kind of um, professionalism is taken into whatever sport it is. And so there's a much bigger respect between coaches and athletes in every community. And I think that also goes into OCR and high rocks. Um, I just think you know each community you visit has like you know soccer pitches and there's like climbing frame for like all the little toddlers to hang out with and there's like you know a place to get sandwiches and snacks and coffee and there's bleachers to sit on you turn up to a park in the uk and there aren't even goal nets and this is our national sport because people cut them down you know it's up to the club to go and hang them before the game and they have half time like you know they don't go back to the changing room at half time because you bring your valuables onto the pitch and you keep them in a bag so that no one steals your shit <laughs> It's a completely different, like, I guess, circumstance. So you say that the British are dirty, rotten scoundrels. We are. We are, you know, peaky blinders, you know, essentially. Um, I watched that, pretty, that movie, Road accurate. Street Hooligan, when I was growing up, and that's what I considered my entire, like, that's what I wanted my, the dream of my life to be. I was like, I, I don't even need to play sports. I will just support other men playing sports, and I will fight somebody to the death if they say that they don't like my soccer club. I mean, that's pretty accurate. I mean, apart from the the American infiltrator and the, and, the, and the journalist, but that, that happens, you know, like there's a lot of, you know, I had friends that belonged to firms growing up and it was kind of your ritual to get into a fight on a Saturday, you know, and I remember being about 14, 15 and 
kind of meeting with other grown men at the pub who are literally going to go down the road behind an alley behind the stadium and fight grown men with basically whatever they could. And I knew pretty much then that like, no one was going to look out for me. So I was like, I'm not really sure if this is the path I want to take, you know? So, um, you yeah, I have total different rationales. <laughs> I mean, I partook a little bit, but from a distance, you know, I wasn't like, I'm not getting in there with some dude holding a bottle and a knife. I'm like, I've seen how this goes. Um, what, so yeah. What is it? I don't, I mean, I guess I was trying to explain this to somebody, like the reason why, um, I was talking to Douglas actually. I was thinking mm. the reason why High Rocks is blowing up so much over there is because in your guys' region, there's like two opportunities. You can either go play like rugby or soccer. And then other than mm-hmm. that, you're screwed. Here in the United States, you can do like CrossFit, OCR, uh, like um, High Rocks, DecaFit. You can do – and then all of a sudden you go up into the major leagues where you could be uh, like a triathlete and uh, – um, you can go into MLB, MLS, uh, like uh, NBA, NFL. There's just so many more sports over here that the mm-hmm. likelihood that you're going to get invested heavily into something over here is fractioned into maybe 10x more things than over there with you guys. It's basically soccer. Yeah, no, it's correct. Um, I mean, obviously, I think the reason it's popping off in the UK right now is obviously we're a very small, small country and – you know, it's easy to get around. Everything's pretty accessible by train and public transport as well. So it's, you know, two hours to Manchester on a train. It's okay. It's five up to Glasgow where we've got a race in February. Um, you know, Birmingham's an hour from London by train and yep. 20, 28 million people live within a 30 mile radius of Birmingham. Holy cow. So, you know, like that's, when you look at it like that, you just infiltrate those numbers and it just, you know, it's like, it's like Tough Mudder. You remember they started handing out free photos and they had the little Tough Mudder logo on it and everyone's like showing their friends on Facebook. Now it's like it's, High Rocks. It's the same thing, you know, like you, you okay, you're paying for your photos and, and, and High Rocks have sort of done something that I didn't really agree with. I, I was thinking it, it's better to market them free, but I guess people end up paying for the package because they want those photos. But yeah, those, those sport- the point is, photograph logo social media, over yeah. your, your picture, so you can't really screw mm. it. I still see people post those pictures. I'm like, whoa, that's that's those are hard times right there. Which ones? <laughs> the ones with sport graph, like stenciled over it's their set- picture. Oh yeah. See that cute so, guy uh, behind all the letters? That's your boy. That's me. <laughs> your boy. Yeah. yeah. So, like, just immediately getting into the meat and potato of these things. Like, do you think that there's a difference between the two sports? Because I really want to break this down. We were going to do a Q and A today. We are going to have the British side of things. We're going to have the American side of things your approach versus my approach. But would you say that there's a difference in the sport in the United States and over there in Europe, not only from the community, but also from the race itself, like, you know, structurally? Um, are you talking about like the weights of the sleds like previously have been slightly different or are you talking weights, about uh, weights, course design, um, everything? Yeah. There's, there are subtle differences. It's, it's kind of like, football is the game that everyone knows and it's played in different stadiums but these have like marginal gains on the outcome of game of matches so i guess you know whatever your approach is taken to train for high rocks whether you're like gonna be a you know build a wider base zone one zone two kind of guy and then sharpen your sword in like anaerobically zone five a few weeks out or if you're going to take this like multi-angled approach of like more crossfit or and, and save your legs closer to the event or if you're just going to sort of keep on doing simulations i think there's definitely probably in america from what i've seen most people invest in coaches from the get-go they'll kind of sign up and then go get a coach the same week of and they'll get the right shoes and they'll start going right what supplements you know should i be taking and then oh maybe there's like you know uh, some extra pointers and tips i can learn about online or they'll read a blog about it and i think in the uk we're still doing things maybe we've got like the numbers side of it and we're like yeah we want to sign up for that but we spend very little time in our preparation like people who are like you know already in the sport and super serious about it they will invest a coach or may even have a coach but they won't be the type of people to look to to think about what shoes they're gonna use for high rocks and worry about the sled do you know what i mean like some people will literally wake up the day of and go oh my god i don't know what shoes i'm wearing 
and There's people will message me. People over there in the UK. Like I went over there and I've done all these races. I'm, I'm massive. I'm massively impressed by the way that you guys actually look over there. When you when you think about the UK, you think about the typical British guy who has got the soccer body, is a little skinny, lanky kind of dude. Um, more for you know soccer sports. Where over here in the United States, it's more of like a trucker body. When you think of an athlete, like a thick, a thicker stump of a man, and the women too. Like I am massively impressed by everybody over there. And I'm just like, where did all these people come from? That's why I initially invested in starting builder over there is because there's all of these like really, really um, involved, like a very, it's a, almost a more intense gym culture in the UK than it is here in the United States. Like people love working out here, but man, if I just like, I don't know. I if I just like wrote a workout on a napkin and threw it on the ground, people would flock to it. The gym community there is like everybody's like, let's just get into it. Let's do it mm -hmm. all. And that's why I think your guys' sport is blowing blowing up so heavily. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um the community in, in London is, is pretty awesome and it's kind of it used to be OCR and high rocks and or functional fitness and and, and um and sorry, sorry, CrossFit, not high rocks. And high rocks is the sport that's coming and kind of bridge that gap a little bit. And because it's so low skill, you know, and CrossFit, CrossFitters are now seeing that, hey, I can, you know, I can run for an hour and 10 minutes. I can run for an hour and a half. I should, I should probably give this a go. And they're, they're teaming up and doing it in doubles. And it's just because it's so, it's like social currency as well to some, some people as well. It's like, this is what I'm doing this weekend. And again, posting on social media kind of has that, you know, reoccurring effect of, look, look I'm, not only am I going out later that night and having a great time with my friends, this is what I'm doing in the day. And, you know, each gym has its own community and it's, yeah, it's very closely knit and probably because we don't get as much sun as you guys do over in California, but like if we don't exercise. We literally feel like, you know, feel like shit the entire time. So you've got to get those endorphins somewhere and you're not getting naturally, you know, like the gym is like our culture. There's no beach to go to immediately. And you know, who wants to see him <laughs> even if we could. <laughs> so it's like gym culture is kind of replacing that. Like, um, you know, just, okay, how do I be healthy? Like, I can't go on vacation all the time. I can't get in the sun all the time, you know, and it's just that, like, well, at least I'm going to look good. And obviously London's a you know, population of 12 million people. A lot of people want to party, look good. So it kind of encapsulates all of that. So, I get that. You know. I want to get I want to get into a controversial topic. Um, High Rocks, you know, we don't have enough listeners on this show that it's going to create this, like, earthquake of an impact, but eventually it will get into the ears of the right people. And High Rocks as a company will ignore this until the day that they die and pretend like this doesn't exist. But I want to point something out, and I want to get your opinion of it, because it is a slap in the face to a lot of the people over in the UK and Europe. So um, I'm going to precursor that right now. I think you're an awesome athlete, George, but I want you to have the obvious stats here. Mm -hmm. I, since the beginning of time, have noticed that when I run a course over here and I put down a stellar time and then a week, like the same weekend, there's an athlete over in the Europe or the UK that does the same time as me, as close to me. And I'm like, that's just not true. And everyone's like, no, that's so true. Like, you don't understand. Like, he's in really good shape right now. And I was like, great, cool, whatever, whatever fucking fairy tale you live in. Keep on singing that song. I'm going to give you guys an example real quick. So this weekend, Ryan Kent raced in one Frankfurt, and they didn't get his time because he didn't have his timing chip. So we're going to go back to Rich Ryan, who took second, a minute and a half slower than him. Mm -hmm. Also, Tiago, who's come, qualified for uh, world championships multiple times, top 15, and also took third, which I'm going to put an asterisk over because I do not believe that he actually came top third place, and he probably will hate me for saying that. But I want you guys to see something real quick. Rich Ryan is somebody that I know who can run sub-15 on a 5K currently. The dude is also a really beastly uh, crossfitter. He's a freak runner, a freak runner. He's won workouts and OCR stars. Like, I just know him very well at this point. So I don't know Tiago as well, but I've raced against Tiago multiple times, and I can tell you when I've raced against somebody, I know everything about them without having to know. Let's look at the stats real quick. Tiago... Congratulations, Tiago. Ran a, uh, I want you guys to know, Tiago ran a 57 minutes and 54 second high rocks. Um, as a number, I will say that number is real. As a race time, I will say that number is not real. That would mean that he was like the fourth fastest person in history. 
Now, the same person that I just told you about, Rich Ryan, the American guy who's racing in America on the real courses, as I would like to call them, um, or whatever, the harder courses, Rich Ryan ran a 102.19. Now, here's where it gets crazy. Now, those are two different numbers. They are four minutes apart. What would you guess Tiago's running time is? And what would you guess Rich Ryan's running time is? Based on the fact that I told you Rich Ryan is an insanely fast runner. Probably the fastest runner in High Rocks on, in the top 15. I mean, Tiago's probably putting down 330 to 340-minute kilometers. Um, yeah. Um, I'm not sure, I guess. But yeah, Rich is definitely a better runner. But then if he's slower, what's he putting down? Just under four? Like 350, 355? No, I'm just going to let you guys know. Tiago ran, his total run time was 28.32. He is, by the way, when I set the world record, he is, his run time was a minute, almost a minute faster than mine, by the way. So do I believe that? No. Um, Rich Ryan, this guy who was a freak runner, his run time was literally almost four minutes slower. Do I believe that? No. Okay. So now we're going to get down to the real meat and potatoes of this thing. And I'm going to try to really compare my time versus Tiago's time. And really, this is the fastest high rocks ever run. If you guys look at the top 10 most fastest run ever run high rocks, I have half of them. So I think I know this pretty well. Tiago versus Hunter McIntyre on the sled push. Now, Tiago's like one-third the size of me. He's like, a, he's like the size of a raccoon. Really um, Tiago pushed a 239. Hunter McIntyre uh, pushed a 257. All this muscle must not mean shit, guys. Oh, poor me. All this hard weightlifting and this mass means nothing. I guess all this training that I put together – um, just doesn't make sense. Okay, now what? also, his sled pull time, guys, is faster than mine. He beat my sled pull time, and I have a 550-pound deadlift. He beat my sled pull time by 13 seconds. And, okay, now here's where it really gets interesting. He would almost have the same world record time as me. World record time. Because, supposedly... My rock zone was 226, and his rock zone was 417. So if we take off two minutes off of his time, he's only 30 seconds away from my world record. So I hear what you're saying, and I can see – let's like devil's advocate. I can see what Hyrox would say about this. I know what I'd say about this. I know how you feel about this. And, yeah, like I'm – old school until i see someone i want to see i want to see someone walk around one of those old-fashioned wheels yeah <laughs> right counting meters and i want like each rock zone like measured as well and i want to know if that's included in the actual 8k or if it's all the same or I did it, see on the, the size of, go on. Uh, like on the promo that you know how they do like a highlight video what like a two second three second clip was them somebody wheeling around like one of those uh tickers on a wheel to like measure out the full eight. I don't know if that was for the rock zone or for uh, the, the, the run of the eight K, but there, there was somebody wheeling the wheel. I don't know if that was for show or just, mm. they actually did do it. Potato, yeah. potato. I don't know. The thing that I was trying to make blaringly obvious about this is like, that I'm having trouble with. And now we can break down into the questions of like what it's like really training for this thing is I think it's important. Um, I think it's important for people to notice. And it's really good. What high rocks actually did is it's top five times from America, top time, five times from European championships and the top five times overall bring you into the top 15. They completely saved that because if you went to the world championships last year, there was 15 people that raced. I think two or three of them dropped out of the race because they were doing so poorly. And these are people that were all running sub 60 in Europe, by the way. Um, and basically uh, these people I raced against them, I beat them by like 12 minutes when in the you know overall time for their qualifying times, they were within two to three minutes of me. Um, 
in the qualifying times. It's just interesting. So I'm just wondering for you as a coach and also an athlete, when I race globally, I expect things to be massively different. I mean, did you notice when you were coming over here to America to race, were you like, oh, shit, there's going to be something different? Like, did the rumors spread around? Like, oh, gosh, this is going to be harder than we expected? Well, I heard you talk previously about the sleds are definitely heavier in the U.S., and I'd already done three or four races by this point in the UK. And I never really had any issues with the sled push myself. So then I kind of took you at your word and was like, they're going to be heavier. And the fact that it was, I believe, at World Championship, it was a plate. It took a plate off something. I'm not sure there was a huge thing about it, but it wasn't the actual same way I'd been pushing, but it felt harder. Yep. And they um, took and a plate is, off. You know, they took a plate off. So it was definitely harder. Um, in Vegas, um, I mean, yeah, who knows why, how sled, you know, sled differences, plate differences, like there's little talk about like bigger stacks, smaller stacks. Um, but it was definitely harder because I remember like looking across going, holy shit, like <laughs> this is not, this is not feeling a hundred percent right now. And I've got, you know, still a length and a half to go. And I was really having to dig deep. And I noticed as well on the sled pull, it just wasn't gliding as easy. I'm not saying it's, 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 a, it's super easy in, uh, in the UK because I was like, okay, this is definitely, I'm definitely working here, but I didn't have to like check myself. Yep. So there's that. Um, yep. I also know my good friend Cole. Cole got stuck on a sled push, I think in LA last year. And then I just, had a, yeah, I just had a client um, who was worried about the sled push and we sort of overtrained it, you know, it was really sort of working hard in different formats. We were, you know, doing all kinds of different lunges and squat repetitions, trying to get him really, really prepared for it. And, and he still said it didn't feel any easier. He just, I, I, he just said, I felt I recovered a bit better than usual, you know? Yeah. So he, he didn't, he didn't go mirac miraculously just because we trained more. It didn't feel like it was easier. Um, so there's definitely, you know, I don't know this season. I don't know who, anyone who's ran a high rocks this season in in the in Europe and in America. But obviously, I, I think now they're saying they've standardised the sleds. Um, but something definitely, I think there's always going to be this like, you know, what is it? Why is you know like Tiago capable of running a 57, and why is you know Rich Ryan Ryan Kent running a 101? When when it comes to it, we kind of know. If, there's a world championship we know where those three athletes are going to come more or less you yeah. know and i, I guess yeah go ahead nothing it's just a complicated thing that um it's a complicated thing that i think it should be mentioned more often and um you know there's obviously no governing body to a sport like this yet there's no drug testing there's no governing body anything could just be switched at any time can you imagine going to a world championship it with a governing body and just removing a plate off of the sleds mm -hmm. and allowing it just to happen like at the snap of a finger. But like everyone's like, oh, this is a good idea. The governing body wouldn't allow that. Um, mm -hmm. The governing body also wouldn't allow the discrepancies like this. Um, like it's understandable in a triathlon where courses have different elevation. There's more twists yeah. and turns and all that kind of stuff. Or when you're doing stadium sports and everything should be the same, it'd be like going to play baseball and all of a sudden you're just knocking home runs out of the park all the time in the UK. And they're like, well, mm -hmm. the stadiums here are about 30 meters shorter, mm -hmm. but understand yeah, it's still a baseball stadium. You have to understand that the bleachers are taller. So there's, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. that'd be my idea of it all. But I, I ran Hanover in 2020 and it had like, you would take a corner and they would have like a zigzag, like, you know, we'd be running in and out of like the, the, the actual columns of the building. Mm -hmm. And I just remember going, wow, my obliques hurt. Like taking, like doing all these like, you know. So I remember going, God, yeah, it was literally, yeah, it was like a little agility run at the end of each corner. And so I kind of thought back then, like surely this all has to be standardized. And I think, you know, Hyrox had, you know, they have the specific measurements that their race has to fit in, whichever building it is. And But I guess it, there's just so many variables that either they're unable to control or it's... They're doing their best. You know, I mean, yeah, they're doing their best. Build, yeah, they're, they're, exactly. They're building, their, they're they're building, building up their sport. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's tough. Like, I'll admit, like, I, it, as from an ego standpoint, watching world records go down left, right, like, I already just lost one. Um and I sit there and I also see all like a world record gets chopped down every single weekend. 
And I know how athletes train and how athletes peak and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't seem to make sense to me, but that's probably just my ego speaking. Well, um, it's, it's like they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. They're saying everything's standardized. And the, the difference between when Ryan Kent runs and, and the guys in, in the UK run, there's a three-minute difference. But when we pull them together all at world championships, the, the guys that are running three minutes slower are way ahead of these the, the people in the UK, you know? So it's, yep. yes, they're standardized, but when we bring them together, they're not standardized. So does it change in a weekend? No, probably not. Like I think Hunter said it a little while back, right? You believe in uh, horses, not horses, and you'll kind of see when everyone gets together at the next championship when it's on the day and everyone's running the same race. And that's when it's kind of, I guess, that means more than maybe putting down a time. I know there was this big controversy when people went to Madrid. People took four minutes off their time, and I actually, you know, thought about, you know, I wish I'd gone. I'd love to take four minutes off my time. Then I can say I'm a, you know, I'm a 64-minute runner instead of a 69-minute runner, you know. And I'm, but I kind of know that the people that went there, and I've spoken to Tom about it, and he was like, it was easier, you know. So I guess that Spain is not under the High Rocks umbrella; it's its own franchise, you know. So. Um, Yes, I, I think they're standardizing as well this year and they're having to change things. But I think last year, before the first, um, before the, um, the uh, championships in Vegas, like, people were actively going to places where they hoped there'd be faster courses. And, and it seems like, and it seemed like there were, was. Well, yeah, but, Cole, know, had to, like, Cole had to fly to Madrid to qualify there. Yeah. Did David Magida do that as well? Oh, yeah. Magida oh. tried to pull it off, flying to London, and he got his ass handed to him. <laughs> He put his ball sack in his suitcase and flew over there, and then he tucked it between his legs on the way home. Um, he's, that pussy got – I anybody who goes and tries to poach course times to qualify, I consider it to be a big old P-U-S-S-Y. <laughs> That's so I, funny. I'd rather set my course record here in Crestline on the dirt. On the dirt, yeah, baby. On the dirt um, track. Yeah. Actually, I just looked. Tiago, I didn't realize this. Tiago did not race the High Rocks Elite in 2022. I've been speaking out of my ass. Um, so I want to get into something that's outside of like the pro level. It's fun to talk shit about pro level stuff, but eventually we've reached the end of our rope here. So now I kind of want to go into like the direction of the sport, the specificity of training. Um, it is getting so loud there that um, we may have to. I'm really, I'm really sorry about the guy making coffee behind me. He's actually 30 meters away. I could probably kill him. Probably throw this spoon at him. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I would like to ask, like, do you like the direction of where the sport's going? Do you have any ambitions for what you want to do in the sport personally or what you want to see the sport happen? And then you and I are going to go into the Q&A hour um, mm. because yeah. I want to answer all these questions here. Yeah, I've got a few, a few personal goals I kind of want to make right. Um, I literally, this time last year, had already run a 69, and I haven't really made much improvement on Did he just go away? He he did a zoom freeze on us. Ah, good for him. Zoom freeze. Yo, you guys disappearing? You back? Yeah. Here we go. We have your audio back. There we go. Um. So yeah, personally, I want to just write that wrong and get closer to sixty-five. I think that's kind of what I'm capable of. I think that's kind of you know, I think that will show eventually. What's going to happen with um, you and Michael Sandbitch? Are you going to take back the title as the fittest Brit? Can you beat J-Fit? We got J-Fit's been commenting a lot of here. Can you beat J-Fit? J's been really crushing it the last few races. Um, so he's definitely someone I've got to get closer to now. He's He's been just hammering race after race. Um, so, yeah, I need to just catch this kid up. But, um, yeah, I think if I put down a good race, I'll be, I'll be in his, uh, you know, can, close to him. can you guys clear something up for me? When they have these races every weekend, they show who's going to qualify for Worlds, and it says one person per age group. Is that correct? Do Maybe you know what? Country? I don't think that's true because that doesn't make any sense. I think there's a, there's a lot of 2,400 people allowed at Maastricht. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't add up. All right. Mathematically. Yeah. I'm not sure what the age group requirements are for World Championships for, for Europe or Worlds. I must admit, it's not been on my radar because I'm not thinking about me. 
I'm just gonna get myself back fit personally. I've had a calf injury for five months. Mm. So um I've started running this week, big news. And um yeah, hoping to do a time in maybe March. Stop pushing sleds. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um so I'm gonna do doubles hopefully in January in uh, Manchester or Glasgow early February. Um and then yeah, I'll see where I am after that. I mean I've the one thing about when you take the pressure off yourself and as a coach as well, since I've stopped focusing on myself, I have more people to train and take care of, which that's, that can't be a coincidence. You know, like you take the energy off yourself and you, and you reach out to other, you know, other people, you know, I'm spending more time coaching people online and that's been really good. And I'm learning more about that. And obviously this thing with builder, we've got going that partnership. I think that's got big waves to come. I think that the, you know, the further we go into this adventure, you know, the more merchandise, water bottles, the more different flavors we're bringing out and new products that are coming out, people are really starting to see how beneficial it is to their training and racing. So I think, you know, we make a good team and it, it will happen in good time. But I still, as an athlete, like I have too much like drive to kind of just go, okay, I'll just be a coach. Like I can't really go to the gym like that and just work out to work out safe. I need to be like, okay, this is the best I have and that's, that's what I want to see. You know, so like, you know, I'm 40 years old, you know, in six months time, but okay. Like Tom Hogan's 42 and he's still making magic happen. There's other guys out there that they're in that category. It just has to, you just have to fit it. You know, you have to make it a priority in your life and you know, it's tough, but I think if anyone can do it, it's me. So, you know, come think, back out to man camp. I think you need to hire a uh, house training as your coach. Um, I've had, I've had that guy's a piece of shit. He's a piece of <laughs> shit, but he gets results. Listen, coaches shouldn't necessarily be nice. I, I've always like we have this conversation when we talk about our coaching business, and there's people that, um, there's people that literally are hand holders. I, I would never hold yep. your hand. Like if you're going to drown, I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to. Here's what I would do if you're drowning. Like for a second there, I, I, I. I jump in the water and I'd show you how to swim real quick. And then I jump back out of the water and say, rather than holding your hand and preventing you from drowning, I'm going to teach you how to fucking swim. And if you decide yeah. to drown on your own accord, that's your choice. Yeah. I have a client right now that he just messaged me. He's actually a very talented person, but the one thing that I have to do is slap him more than give him high fives. Because in yeah. reality, like the one, like what I recognize with working so many people, we, we work with hundreds and thousands of athletes every single year, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands of athletes over through that calendar year. And you see these reoccurring themes. There's the people that catch on and continue to improve. And then there's the people that continue to stagnate or drop. And nine times out of 10, the narrative is always the same. They either are doing too much or they're not doing the right thing. And then when you get on top of them, they always try to ignore the th like the most obvious factor. I'm like, hey, like, do you ever keep track of what you're eating? They're like, no, man. Nutrition is just one of those things I just like, can't figure out. I'm like, so you're in the gym for two hours a day, every single day, and then you've got just loads of body fat all over you, and you feel like shit all the time, yet you think that you're going to find like some kind of cure for cancer underneath one of these bumper plates that you're lifting up. No. You need to take care of yourself. You're a fat idiot, and you need to – control yourself and like you know would it, would it be better for me to pretend and pretend like you're going to figure your shit out on your own or would it be better for me just to show you the way and most people like people find me to be abrasive but then I also find that I'd rather give you the honest answer rather than um, sugarcoat anything but um, yeah. just for you dude fix your calves this is something I will tell most people I almost never push sleds. I don't. There's no point in doing high volume sled work and high volume running. People combine the two of these things, thinking that they're the cure for getting a better high rocks time. They, it just creates so much flexion on your calf and creates so much stress. If you think about how thin the ankle bone is and all of the tendons and ligaments and veins and muscles that are coming into around the ankle bone, when you're stressing that at a super super hard angle all the time through running on pavement, which George does at a massively high level and doing sled pushes, which is just so aggressive on you, you're bound to fail. You're bound to hurt yourself. That's why I don't almost ever touch sleds unless it's time to peak. Um, but we're going to get into uh, questions. We're going to try to rapid fire through these things because we've already reached a pretty high, high number here. Um, you're going to answer, and then I'm going to answer. Uh, from, from Ida, she's a multiple-time world champion in obstacle course racing. She said, best tips for wall balls on how to make them uh, 100 wall balls suck less. 
Your turn. Go. Um, I would get a heavier wall ball, and pre-fatigue it first, and then bust out how many you can unbroken, and then rest a minute and go again. I like that style. For me, I like to do more squats than I'm asked to do. So what I think you should do is you should try to aim for like 200 air squats, then 150 wall ball thrusters, and then 100 wall balls. Like I did the wall balls at the relay race. I did 100 unbroken. Um, it wasn't really a problem, and it's just because I kept that stamina and also mindset in, uh, on how to break it down. Um, Chris Gerglowski asked, why didn't you race, Hunter? Uh, George, what's your opinion of why I didn't race? Because you're trying to kill the bear up in the press line. Good answer. And, uh, takes a lot out of you. And I don't, I don't know. Why didn't you race, you pussy? Um, <laughs> yeah, I want to get better at the boat, dude. Yeah, that's it. No Dragon one's going races. to write on my grave. Hunter McIntyre won High Rocks LA 2022, December 10th. Right. No one will write that on my grave. But they're like, Hunter McIntyre, here lies Hunter McIntyre, the motherfucker that paddled the shit out of a boat into the Olympics. Greek God, MVP. Hashtag Thug Love. Hashtag Bear Killer or like Bear Hunter. Bear, bear Slayer. Yeah. Bear Slayer. If it's bear like a Slayer. little bear, though, no one's going to give you props. It's going to have to be like a record type of bear. You know, they're going to have to like measure that thing in public. My in goal is I'm going to create, create, uh, um, I'm gonna create uh, a kilt out of purely hot dogs. And I'm going to be running through the woods, and they're going to be able to smell the hot dogs. And the bear's going to go crazy. And underneath it, I'll have this wild, wielding battle axe. And they'll be trying to chomp at the hot dogs, and I'll come down upon them. Yeah! Behead the beast. I like that. That's actually got wheels. That idea has got merit. I mean, you might need a a backup guy just with, like, a shotgun, just just in case. (laughs) Haven't you seen the movie The Edge? I think you were here when we watched the movie The Edge, dude. It's so good. It's so good. Dude, him, Alec Baldwin. It shit's nice. Okay, what is the best? Okay. (laughs) Go ahead if you want. If you have something to say. Yeah, guys. um, I watched a lot of action movies with Hunter. And obviously, there's an epic timeline of action movies. Most of them happened late 80s, early 90s. But we did stumble on the worst movie I've seen in the history of my life and it's a new one it's called the northman for some reason the cold kibbles in it but don't but don't but save your time just scroll on and watch anything other than the northman okay carry on okay <laughs> um what is the best way to improve your burpee broad jump um best way to improve your burpee broad jump do you know what like i think like just practicing your transitions is really key for that and that exercise in itself um, but obviously if you don't have any, like, if you don't have a power phase in your cycle of training, like, you know, bench press, you know, and, you know, plyometrics, like, these things will help, you know, if you're much more efficient in that movement, then you will go faster. But like your overall conditioning, I guess, is the thing that will determine like how you recover from that. It's a big compound movement. So the fitter you are, the more you'll be recovered when you come out of it. Doing more burpees is kind of, not the answer, but maybe some sort of form of pre-exhaustion or putting on a specific power phase in your, uh, in your cycle of training. If you're doing strength for four weeks, then you're doing like aerobic conditioning for four weeks, then you may want to look at a couple of weeks of just actually doing some movements in high rocks in a more powerful fashion, you know, and that includes like, yeah, push, pull and jumping, you know? Ke- so, Kegels. Yeah. Kegels. That's what yep. you, want. you want. I give that amazing answer and you're like, Bro, just do some Kegels. No, no. Okay. (laughs) I personally don't do a lot of burpee broad jumps in my training. I think it's important if you don't ever train them to get the skill of them. Um, I personally will do burpee box jump overs, which are much more plyometric than a normal one. So you nailed that. Or I'll do burpee to bar touches. So you're doing it at a much more rapid rate. And then lastly, I think the most important thing to improve your burpee broad jumps is form. Like Dina came over here when we were doing the battle bunker and I was watching. No offense, Dina, but I'm just going to use you as a target because we know you mutually and you're popular. Her burpee broad jump form was such dog shit that I was like, you know, for every three burpees that you're doing, you're doing an extra one technically in the amount of vertical travel that you're doing. So per- people should always monitor the bur- burpee broad jumps in their form. I save it. I'm, I'm much bigger than Dina, but I bet you I say almost as low as Dina per broad jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Rob Wags, 1991, says, how do you mitigate onset musky ass crack sweat during intense exercise events? 
I personally, I'm just going to roll right off on this thing. I let it fly. If you notice me in the gym, you can tell when I'm excited by the volume of butt crack sweat that I have going on. I have noticed um, you carry a lot of butt crack sweat. Because I have such large ass cheeks. My ass cheeks are so beefy that they're kind of like the equator. They have this like, kind of like, it's this own level of power and heat that are generated through the crack. Mm, it's like something Dr. Manhattan would like be proud of. Yep. You know. Shout out to Coach Kyle, uh, best DJ in the business. What are the best gloves and shoes you're competing in, uh, and are you competing again, Hunter? Um, George, that was from David Lynch. What, what are your favorite shoes and gloves? Um, I got a pair of gardening gloves, uh, which I found pretty useful for sled pull. Um, I didn't use them for anything else, to be honest, but literally, like, the cheapest, stickiest pair of rubber ones, they cost £1.20 from a market I bought on the morning out of London. And the shoes... Right? Sponsorship. Sponsorship. Um, best shoes. Do you know what? I mean, something comfortable with a little bit of grip, you know, that you can run in with the arms. You know, they've got to be stable enough to lunge and squat in. Are you I talking about Uggs? Uh, Uggs, bro. Uggs. Do you know what? I would basically, anybody that runs in vapor flies, I'm like, how do you do that? You know, they've got no traction and they're like stilts. You know, yep. It's longer to the ground for the lunges. It's longer to depth, you know, in your squat. It's got this rocker on it, so, like, it's your heel toe a lot. I mean, shoes are shoes at the end of the day. They can't be, you know, everyone's an adult here. Try them out. Like, we all had to, you know? George, George we got to teach you the definition of rapid-fire answers. Sorry. You spent, you spent 30 to 90 seconds alone talking about vapor flies. <laughs> that was boring. Carry on. All right. I'll it's not out. boring. We just have so many of these things. I don't want oh, anybody. Yeah. Okay. What is the future of the Go Ruck division? Um, I don't know. I mean, you guys don't have a Go Ruck division over there, do you yet? It's coming out in February. Would you Apparently. do it? Yeah, I'd do it. Really? I'd Scott. Let, I'd let my, my car feel up first. Yeah, Scott Krejic. Krejicki. I personally would not do it because I just did the only two stations, and I'm so sore from doing that relay race. I don't even want to know what these people are going through right now after doing one of my clients did it, but I can't even imagine the pain. Um, okay. Uh, Michael Kirk Meester. Uh, can you go, can you go pro doing stuff like high rocks or Spartan Deca events? I don't know what that means. Like be, be a professional, like a pro athlete. Make a professional. Yeah. I won. I'm going to give you guys the math. I took second, which I shouldn't have, my own fault. But I took second. If it was first, it would have been $5,000. I think I took $3,000 home or whatever. But I took second at national championships. So it's like, let's just say $3,000 high side. I won Go Ruck games. That was $16,000. Then I won High Rocks World Championships. That was another $16,000. So that's forty. That's $35,000. That's all I made last year from competing. And I had a couple sponsors that maybe doubled that. Um, I personally don't chase sponsors because we have a couple businesses that are doing like well and we want to promote that. And like maybe you could, but I will say that you probably have a better job showing up at CVS, a pharmacy, and going up through the ranks like that and trying to make money because the top dog made $35,000. And it's not getting better, by the way. And you got taxed on that. And, and oh yeah, I get about just going pro and high rock. So if you take out high rocks, you made or go rock, you made eighteen thousand. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, I think Decafit, if you won the world championships, they gave you like a like a toothbrush and a, a box of tissues to go home to clean your dirty ass after that terrible experience you just went through. Um, Sorry yeah, about Deca that bothers me. Those the, those weighted burpees overhead. You don't have to lock out your arms. The yeah. whole exercise is not okay. Rambert. Cole, Cole Schwartz just said to you, our audio sounds like shit. I'm not gonna lie, guys. I've known George for I've known George for you know several years now, and we've we've been working professionally for almost a year. And George, the one thing I beg him to do every single time is I say, go to somewhere without dog shit audio. It is like someone lobotomized him. I don't think he fully understand. I think he. He, he has what's called Stockholm Syndrome. He has been imprisoned by the volume of London 
for so long, he doesn't know what a quiet room sounds like anymore. So he's fucked up all of our business meetings. He's fucked up his podcast. But at this time, I personally am just going to roll through and try to uh, enjoy it. So anybody who's listening, if you guys want to send, if you wouldn't mind, we're going to put your address up here so we can have the Unabomber send you some mail and blow your ass up. Guys, Sorry. I can only apologize for the audio. Um, I thought this was going to be like a pre-recorded podcast, not a live podcast. How would and that make it any better? We would still shit, shit audio pre-recorded versus shit audio live. I just wouldn't get called out about it in the moment. This, is, the this, is, this is exactly what I'm talking about, guys. Is uh, He just doesn't understand. Um, okay. I need to get so, some of those old-ass headphones. Okay. To button things up, I do not think... By the way, just get this, dude. These are noise canceling. This cost me thirty dollars. Um, okay. I don't think you can go pro in this sport. I think that you probably end up living with your parents. I'm lucky that uh, I found a cabin in the woods that costs about three dollars a month to live in, and that's the only way you'll afford to do it. We used to live when we were at the highest level of the Spartan race. I was living on air mattresses with uh, Buzz Lightyear sheets. Like it's not, it's not a rich not man sport. When we were over at the, uh, we were over in the UK this summer. We were hanging out these pro-level football players, and the amount of money that they made per week is more than I made in five years competing. Yeah, True makes story. me sick to my stomach. Fuck you, High Rocks. Um, sorry. Uh, okay. Do you still race High Rocks? When is your next event? That's from Black Island. Um, what's your answer on that, George? Um, no, I'm going to take up basically bear hunting. So there's this new competition I want to get into. I'm going to beat Hunter in his own game. Nice, nice. I don't know, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to trap them. No more high rocks. I'm a paddler now, and uh, George is a bear hunter. Okay, guys, from Chris Quinn, if you had to wrestle a tiger instead of rowing, um, rowing as a stallion, you still taking home the W? Uh, would you rather fight a tiger or row as a stallion? George, I'd rather fight a tiger. Can I choose the tiger though? But nah, dude. It. It's a, it's a, just, it's like one of those gumball machines. Liger. Whatever comes out, a liger you could beat the shit out of. I think those things have like mental disorders because they've just bred them too many times. Um, fighting, okay, fighting a tiger is a better story. Jojo, she competed with us at Battle Bunker. She's a rad chick. Uh, is it possible to maintain pure strength during training? What do you think? Pure strength? Do you mean absolute think, strength? I think she just means like high levels of like your strength, strength. It's not a quick fire response, guys, but absolute strength is like one to three reps. It's very, you can't really maintain that more than a couple of times a year, you know, like, you know, so no, you can have strength endurance for some time and you can, like, I can walk into the weight room and, you know, deadlift, you know, like 120 kilos right now. It's not a lot of weight, but that's like a, whatever day. Even if I had the flu, I'd be able to do that minimal weight. And then when I'm peaking, it's like 170. So, yeah, the difference is 50 kilos there for me. I'm not a big deadlifter like Hunter, but, like, you can keep that throughout the year, come rain or shine. But, again, if you ask Hunter, like, what's your, what's your PB? 550? 550 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. If you go in the weight room right now, what are you pulling up? 450? I don't deadlift right now, but I bet you Cole, at any given time I can deadlift between 475 and 505. Okay. So I you, always stay with – I have the 90% rule. You have to okay. stay with the 90% of your peak unless you just like – let's just say all of a sudden I decide to quit uh, training and I became a chess master. Like it's not possible. But if you're training, um, yeah. you should try to stay with the 90% of your peak. Yeah, if you're training like 8 to 12 hours a week <sighs> – then yeah, you should know your numbers off by heart and you kind of know that even though you're real tired, you can pull that weight. So I like that rule. Yeah, I personally, I tell people like you in the off season should bring your strength up. Let's just put it an even number of 500 and then you stay within 90% of your weight all season. Like the higher you are, the better you are off because um, you're always going to come down somewhat. The 90% rule is a really good rule because it means if you're going beyond that, you're kind of overtraining your body in the wrong direction. Um, so let's just say you're going to drop down to 450 at the lowest throughout the season. You're still freaking savage. So Jojo, hopefully that helps. Um, Jake Gibbs, are some courses faster than others? Uh, I think we all agreed on that. Yeah. Should have tuned um, in earlier, Jojo. 
let's see here. Uh, was High Rocks LA longer than other course races by day one OCR? I, I think we all agreed on that too. We broke down the math on that. Um, it was significantly longer. Uh, just throughout other math. Jay, hey, look at this, George. What are we talking about? New characters for Thirst Trap to beat uh, to beat down. We've got a lot of really hey. good characters for Thirst Trap coming up. I was impressed with Thirst Trap. Uh, it's a character like I can go. On, I can go more with that guy. You know? Yeah. Um, Put some got, Mr. Snake. Yeah, I like the way he started doing like lines of builder through the cane. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we need to get like Thirst Trap, maybe more like a influencer of the wild. You ever seen that account where they just follow into influencers and see how thirsty they are? We need like yeah. an original setting down by the beach where like. You're almost like filming your own ass crack from a distance. And then maybe Thirst Trap can be like, hey, you need some hand with that? Maybe you're not hydrated enough. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I've got all these storylines um, to build off with this thing, which I'm quite excited about. In reality, uh, it just like takes time. Like I actually have all these stories have been built up in my head over like years. Thirst Trap's Where do they come because from? Thirst Trap's... I don't know, man, because I just sit there and there's like pop culture. Like, obviously, like James Bond has been around for a really long time. And Thirst Trap is like a term that's really kind of only come about in the past like couple of years. And mm -hmm. I just thought about it. Like, Thirst Trap is owned by like juicy, over sexualized women. And I was like, that's boring. Like, there's enough booty on the internet. Um, we don't need to keep on like, you know, promoting that. I was like, why don't we just steal that name? And make a character that literally just makes people extremely thirsty. And I was like, that's, a, that's an easy win for me. That's an easy win for me. And what better way to do it than James Bond, who is typically like very dry and like serious. And then have this extremely flamboyantly insane person that's fucking up everything that he's doing. Thirsty and uncomfortable. I like it. You know? Yeah. I was, I was watching I, it with like, oh. Is he doing this? He's doing this. And then I was, yeah. I, was, I was on board, you know? Well, dude, if you look at most of James Bond's villains, so we were watching, I was studying all this stuff. If you're watching James Bond versus his villains, like they don't have like really insane interactions. They just sit there and they like talk to each other. They're like James, like, do you remember that girl that you kissed at the bar? He's like, yeah. yeah. He's like, what about it? He's like, that was one of my employees. She tricked you. <laughs> now you have a, a, a venom going through your body. And James is like, damn it. And it's like, it's just like so monotone. And I was like, okay, so how do you mix this thing up? You have to have insanity. So my goal is to keep James Bond as a pretty monotone person and make Thirst Trap just aggressively crazier throughout time. Mm. And now we have another character named Chef Boy R. Dude that's coming out. Um, I have uh, this this character that I built a long time ago named Shreddy Spaghetti. It's a, uh, it's a surfer that just loves carb loading before he goes surfing. <laughs> So, like, you're just going to see, like, an olive garden, and he's just going to be, like, standing outside, kind of looking around with a surfboard, and then he's just going to open the door and walk inside. Another part, he'll be... Like, yeah, catching, he'll, a, catching a wave with, like, a baguette? No, dude, just, like, imagine there, like, he's just, like, in the water, kind of looks around, opens up his wetsuit, and just takes some pasta and puts it in his mouth real quick, and then paddles in. Uh, there's There's a lot of characters, and obviously it's all... It's all a joke to kind of promote our brand because I've just recognized that nobody seems to care to know more about what they're putting in their body. Like the Red Bull gives you wings thing. Like nobody cares what's yeah. inside of a Red Bull. It's the idea that it gives you wings. So yeah. um, for me, I just at this point, I'm just trying to, I don't know, just basically have fun. And I think it will win out more. Um, when Sled Push is... When sled push isn't available, what are some things you can do to at least prepare? Um, Justin, just to Zercher? give you a quick answer, Zerker, uh, reverse Zercher lunges are very, very good. And you also just probably do a lot of squats. Like stronger legs are stronger against anything. It doesn't matter when it comes to uh, sleds or anything else. You just need to get stronger legs. Um, uh, we got a girl or a guy. I don't know who this is. Kyler2122. Um, someone just said, how do I can, uh, handle the ultimate engine, which is our new program coming out without overtraining the volume of it guys, everything's scalable. Um, like George, you came out of your train with me. I think you stuck around for almost all of the workouts, but 
I'm sure you realize at a certain point, you're like, if I do one more round, I'm just going to tip over the edge. Like, what are your opinions on this when you're training high volume with people? Yeah, 100% scale back. Um, stay within. It's knowing your body, isn't it? Like, if you're signing up for hierarchs and you've got a big high number you want to achieve, like time-wise, you know, maybe just are you ready for that sort of level of commitment first and foremost? Like it's six, seven day, days a week gig and you've got to know your limits. So if you're on one of Hunter's programs and you see it's got like on one of the lifts, like X amount of you know pounds on the bar and you're like, there's no way in hell I can do that and scale back so you can see what Hunter's trying to do with his body. And if it's the 90% rule, the 80% rule, whatever, then find your 80% of that barbell. There's no point being a hero. <laughs> yeah. Um, and last but not least was a question from Cole Schwartz is, uh, why do I hate Rylan? I, this weekend made a bet against Rylan, Rylan, um, Schledeg, I guess his name is he ran, he ran the high rocks and he took third. He actually did very well. I personally made a bet that he was not going to break one Oh eight because I think he's phenomenal athlete, but I think he took a very big offense to this afterwards. We were in the bathroom and I didn't notice it was him. And I turned around and I was like, Oh, Rylan, congrats. I, um, really good job. I bet against you. I didn't think you were going to break 108 uh, because, you know, his, his squat form during the battle bunker workout was so bad. I was like, I don't know if this guy has the capacity to squat 100 wall balls or do the other movements that are kind of technical enough that it will take somebody who's unprepared a, a long time. Mm. And uh, he ran a, a 62, and I think he was extremely offended by my answer. Uh, my Motivated. You should never be a bit of extra, uh, you know, kick in the tush. Yeah, I don't think people should take. Uh, listen, this will take time for him, and if he hears this, it may be hard for him to hear. But it takes time for you to build a layer of skin that it takes to have people bet against you, talk shit against you, not believe in you. In reality, I've been doing this for 12 years, and people have been telling me I can't do shit for a long time. Before that, I had three older brothers that talked shit to me all the time. And, and it just takes accumulation of being able to go up against people that are shitting on you, pushing you down. And I'm not shitting on him. But when you hear that stuff, it, it can it can mix uh, mix your emotions pretty heavily and mess you up. Where in reality, dude, like if you're competing and you believe in yourself – there's nine times out of 10, you're not going to have an auditorium full of people that are clapping for you. There's going to be an auditorium of people talking yeah. shit behind your back, not believing in you, not imagining you can pull it off. And the greatest part about it is when you do pull it off, everyone's going to show up at table and want to hang out. And what you can do is say, hey, I'm going to pay for everyone's uh, dinner over here. But those assholes right there, they pay for themselves. Nice. Yeah. But. <laughs> Yeah, man, it was uh, it was good having you on the show. We hit our hour mark. Um, I know you've got a lot going on. If you want to share anything you've got going on, I know you've got a good coaching business over in the UK. I know you're getting ready to get in shape again. I know you rumored that you were going to come out here and spend time with Big Daddy. What's going on? Yeah, I've uh, obviously a couple of weeks before Christmas. I got my little ones to take care of. Um, going to get her start lifting some weights too as well. She picked up a 12 kilo kettlebell yesterday, no so. Big props to my four-year-old daughter. Um, no big deal. It's probably more than my mom. Um, so I've got that Christmas thing. Then, yeah, Manchester end of January, Glasgow. I'm hoping to do a doubles as well and then really put down the hammer for Barcelona in March. And I was thinking maybe pre or post-March to come out of California to hang with First Trap and friends to see. Chef yeah. Dude, at that yeah. point, I basically will be a full-blown amphibious man. Lots of paddling, but I will do dry land training if you guys want to get some in. Um, I mean, I can canoe. I can't get in a dragon boat. Uh, you know, it took you like a week to paddle it. I don't think I'm going to be able to handle that swag, but it, it, I can canoe like forever. So Forever and ever. Forever. <laughs> no big deal. Let's give a shout out to some of the stuff we've got going on, guys. If you're even listening still at this point, which we'd appreciate it if you are. Uh, guys, what we have coming up is... You know, we had a tremendously successful sale with Builder in the United States and in the UK. I understand, guys, that the, the United States, uh, the United Kingdom is doing a lot of uh, postal strikes. So if you haven't gotten your packages yet, uh, we love you, but we cannot control what the Postal Service is doing over there. Uh, but we we're very grateful that you guys supported us. We are also building out three new products in the UK. We have a strength product coming. We have a pre-workout product coming. 
I'm currently testing all of the pre-workout products here in the United States, and they should be you guys first quarter. We're growing this business support athletes specifically in this sphere. We are designing the products for people like you, not for Joe Schmo bodybuilder or somebody who's doing an Ironman. These are for people that are really trying to build that hybrid athlete body. So it's going to be awesome, and we love the support that you guys have given us. Last but not yeah. least, guys, we are also running our master class in the Ultimate Engine program. It was the most successful program that we had going on last year. We had the most success of signups and also results from people. It's one of these crazy programs that I built around Norwegian training, cross-country ski training, and a hybrid athlete program to really help you guys peak your fitness. So start your year off right. Give yourself the gift of having a great program and hard work and a great community to work with. And um, if you guys are looking for more one-on-one -on -one coaching, I suggest somebody like George. He will hold your hand, and I will only push you deeper into the pond if you come my direction. So um, – <laughs> I, I think that uh, both are amazing options, and we're really grateful that you guys have tuned in and supported what we've done so far. So, um, George, anything else you want to say before we peace out? Um, just to add on the postal strikes, it's not just postal. There are all kinds of industries striking here, so it really is out of our hands, guys. It's not like some made-up bullshit, but there are nurses on strike. There are barristers on strike. And if you're a lawyer and you're not getting paid enough, what about the poor guys posting stuff? I mean, we, we can't control that. But as soon as we have it, we'll reach out to you and uh, yeah, come hit me up and uh, hopefully I'll have some subs to hand out and get some regular workouts in the London area. All right, boys and girls, thanks for tuning in. We're out. Hey! Nice. Nice, guys. Off. <laughs>